have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We're making progress, slowly but surely. Luke chapter 16. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Let's hear God's word together. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in their dealings with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by the means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for they will, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this portion of your word, our hearts confess that, that we need uh, your Holy Spirit to be at work in us, to, to illumine us, to, to help us to understand what we have here. These, these words uh, are clearly uh, difficult on, on so many levels, uh, and so we just pray that you would, in, in these moments that we have before your throne of grace, that, that you would be pleased to meet with us, uh, and that you would take these words and that you would apply them to our hearts in a way that is pleasing and is true and is right before your eyes. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were with us several weeks ago in our study of Luke chapter 14 and in verses 25 through 35, and if you can remember back that far, and I, and I know that's difficult to do sometimes, but if you can remember, I said of that passage that it seemed to be one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. Now, frankly, at this point in my preaching career, I should have learned not to say those kind of absolute things. I should have learned to, to speak more carefully, uh, especially when these things are recorded and they go out to the masses. You can go find that, that sermon on Sermon Audio right now. So... You know, as they say, the, the, the receipts are out there. We could find them right now. Um, but I should not say those things because inevitably when I do say those things, you come to a passage like the one that is before us today. A passage that is one that has produced a wealth of interpretations, even from theologically like-minded people. 
Uh, this is one of those passages that we come to when we all just kind of draw up a little because not only is it dealing with our money and our possessions, uh, but it is a passage that is really difficult under, to understand. But, but in my defense, let me, let me go back just for a second and let me say that if you'll remember back to that Luke chapter 14 sermon, I did say on that occasion that that passage was difficult not so much in, in its interpretation, not so much in its language, but it was difficult in its application. How, how exactly do we take that passage and apply it to our lives? Well, the passage before us is exactly the opposite of that. If we can ever get to the application, the point that Jesus is making here, while, while it's difficult at least to do because it's our money and it's our possessions, it's easy enough to, to apply, understand how to apply what Jesus is saying here. The problem is getting to that point, right? It's trying to decipher, especially in that little parable there in verses 1 through 9, just exactly what it is that Jesus is saying to us this morning. Uh, you know, not only is it convoluted to some degree or another, but Jesus seems to, to kind of uphold to us this shrewd manager, this guy that's clearly morally compromised, and he, he gives him as an example to us. And so we say, Lord, what exactly are, are you doing here? Clearly, Clearly, we need to do work, right? We need to try to work through this together. So that, that's my goal this morning. What I want us to do is I want us to spend the majority of our time working through verses 1 through 9, just trying to get a grasp on just exactly what it is that Jesus is saying. And then we'll come back at the end, and we'll try to get these three points of application that Jesus makes there in those, those last verses, okay? So, so that's the plan before us. Before we get there, just, just let me say to you that, that I need to give credit where credit is due here. I, I am particularly indebted this week to the commentaries of J.C. Ryle and, and Philip Ryken. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's better to say uh, I need to, to look to people who are wiser and godlier than I am, and particularly here, I, I did that this week. And so as we move through this, we stand on their shoulders as they stood on the shoulders of the church fathers, and all of us are going to be looking to the Holy Spirit uh, to give us the wisdom and the understanding that we need. And so, with all of that in mind, let's look at this together, and let's see, putting your money where your faith is. First in this passage, I want you to notice a shrewd but morally questionable business manager. Shrewd but morally questionable business manager. That's a mouthful. But you see it, of course, there in the parable itself. Now, the first thing that we need to note here before we really jump into it is notice how the audience has changed. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, particularly in Luke chapter 15, then you'll remember that, that in that chapter, Jesus had been speaking to Pharisees. And that was an important point for us to remember. Well, now, there in verse 16, or in chapter 16 in verse 1, notice the audience has changed to his disciples. Now, when you're any time, uh, the, these kind of points to us, they seem insignificant. When we're reading our Bibles, I know because I do the same thing, audience changes and we don't think much about it. But when you're trying to interpret something, when you're trying to understand what somebody is saying, knowing who they are saying it to is really, really important. So y'all know that, that I coach, I have some part in coaching three different baseball teams. And so if I said to Sam's baseball team, hey, let's go play ball today. Well, that means, hey, let's go play ball, 
Let's, let's really go out there, and you know what you're supposed to do, and let's go figure it out, right? Now, if I say to Wes, his park and rec team, hey, let's go play ball, it's going to mean something very similar to that, but, but there's going to be some differences, right? They're not necessarily age-wise, experience-wise, where Sam and them are. Now, if I say to Sarah Grace's four-year-old little t-ball team, hey, let's go play ball, what I mean by that is don't go run to the bathroom in the middle of the game. Uh, don't ask me for the hundredth time when we're going to eat snacks. Don't, just, you stay right in this little area right here and don't leave. Now, I said the same words to all three of those groups, right? The only way you can know I meant anything different by them is to know who I am speaking to. Well, it's the same way with Scripture. Particularly last week, we saw we needed to know that Jesus was speaking to Pharisees, and here we need to know that he is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to believers. So I want you to keep that in mind as we move through this. Now, as he addresses the story to them, notice how it begins. In verses 1 and 2, he says, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. Now, if you're a part of the business world, and really even if you're not, then this is a situation that is unfortunately pretty familiar to us in the world that we live in, right? A wealthy person or maybe a business owner, they hire someone to manage their accounts, to, to manage their money, to take care of the books, and rather than doing so with honesty or with integrity, that hired person, they, they begin to cheat. They begin to steal just a little bit for their own gain. Maybe they, they just skim a little bit off the top here. Maybe they doctor the books there. But, but whatever it is, they're trying to, to get a quick and easy profit for themselves. That's what this man has done here. And as is usually the case, at least in the long term, rarely do these things work out. And of course, uh, he gets caught. Someone brings it to his, his boss, his manager, and says, hey, this man is stealing from you. And as we would expect, the, the master comes to fire him quickly. Now, I want you to notice, and this is, this is sort of tangential. Tan, tan, that's, a bad, that's a hard word. I shouldn't have chose that word. I should have done a different one. It's... it's really close. It's, just notice, just notice, just skip, don't forget I said that. Just notice that it's this, at this point, when he's caught, that, that he begins to realize the reality of what he's done. It's, it's when he gets caught that the weight of all of his actions really begin to, to settle in. He says, oh no, I don't have a job now. Not only do I not have a job, but notice in verse 3, he, he's honest enough with himself to say, hey, I'm not strong enough to go out and to dig ditches or to do manual labor. I'm also too proud to go and sit at the city gate and to beg for someone to give me money. And so it all hits him. The job that I had was the job that I needed, but I've made this poor decision, and so no longer do I have that job. And it's very unlikely that anyone is going to hire me to do that job, given these mistakes that I have now made. Now let's pause there just for a second to note a very familiar yet avoidable pattern. It's a pattern that, that should be familiar to all of us who are sinners, and that's every single one of us. 
you know, initially the, the benefits of sin, that they seem so good and they seem so easy, and we dive in head first with no regard, with no thinking of, of what the consequences may be. But then, when we get caught, and inevitably, friends, that, that, that will happen, right? Inevitably, that's the, the reality of sin. It comes back to get us every single time. And when it does, all the weight of it all comes crashing down on us then. We begin to feel the truth. Maybe what we had before was not all that bad. Maybe we should have just been content with what God had provided for us. You know, they say once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't get the toothpaste back in the tube, right? And so it's best not to let it out to begin with. Now, if there's any dentist here, I'm sorry for that, that analogy. That's not the best one. But you know what I mean. Sometimes it's just best to think, my, my, if I had a dollar for every time my mother said this to me when I was growing up, sometimes it's just best to think before you act, right? And in this case, for us as God's people, Sometimes it's best to think of what God has said to us. Think of his word to us before we act. How many of us, me included, could be saved so much regret, so much hardship, so much trial, if we would simply rest in what God has said to us. But this man, he does not do that. And this is where the story seems to kind of go off the rails a little bit, right? We, I, I just made this point of application, and we think, well, Jesus is going to do the same thing. But notice, that's, that's not what happens. Rather than feel the regret of what he's, he, he has done, this man begins to try to think of a way to get out of this. He begins to try to think his way through this decision that he has made. And so he, he comes up with this plan, a plan to, to secure his future, a plan to make sure that, that as he moves forward, he has a job. So what he does is he takes his master's books and he calls in all of these debtors. On his way out, he calls in all of these people who own his, owe his master money. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Tell me how much you owe. And so the first person says, I, I, I owe a hundred measures of oil. He says, all right. Well, take your ticket. Instead of a hundred, write down fifty. Now, that didn't calculate to us very well. 100 to 50 is a lot. We get that. But that's, according to some measures, like 1,000 gallons of oil. So for them, that's a big deal. That's a lot, right? Next guy comes in, and he says, I owe 100 measures of wheat. He says, all right. Well, I want you to write down 80. Now, again, that's, that's almost 1,000 bushels of wheat that he is just cutting off. He, he's just riding away. Again, it's really important. We're getting to the heart of the matter here. So it's really important to recognize just exactly what's happening. He, he's putting these people, at least in his mind, he's putting these people in his debt, the, the, the shrewd manager, by doing something good for them, by, by decreasing their debt, so that when he gets fired, when he no longer has a job, he can go to them and say, hey, I need a job, and you remember, I saved you a thousand gallons of oil. I saved you a thousand bushels of wheat. He's trying, again, to secure for himself a future. 
Now, he's doing it through dishonest means, and we need to recognize that. He is not doing it the way that he should. But the point that Jesus is trying to drive us to is that he's doing it because he's thinking ahead. He's doing it to try to secure his spot in the world. He's stealing from one master in order to try to gain another. It's shrewd. It's wrong, but it's shrewd. And so we're surprised because it's wrong in verse 8 when the man's former employer, when he comes to him and he commends him, rather than, rather than being angry, even more angry than he already was because he's already been taken advantage of and now he's getting taken advantage of again, rather than being mad or yelling, he commends the actions of this manager. Basically, he says to him, I don't like what you did, but I have to give it to you. <laughs> that, that was pretty slick. That, that was a pretty good move that you did there. Again, I'm going to say this one more time because it's important. He's commending the man's cleverness, his shrewdness, not his actions. He's commending the man for acting in his own best interest to secure his future, not the way that he did it. Now, all of that gets us to the question of who is it that is delivering this parable? It's Jesus, right? And he's about to use this man as, as an example to his disciples. And so, again, we have to ask, is Christ affirming sinful behavior here? Is he, is he telling us if it will benefit us to, to do whatever it is that we need to do? Is he saying, if we need to cheat, go ahead and cheat? If we need to, to steal a little bit here, then go ahead and do that. Well, again, I told you to remember, who is, who is it that he is speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples, people who have sat with him, people who have, who, who have heard him say, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. People who have heard him say over and over and over again that the unrighteous will not get into the kingdom of heaven. People who he has called to live holy and righteous before the world. And so unless we're going to go back and undo all that we have seen for 15 chapters Jesus teach us to do, then clearly what he is saying to us is not to go live in a shrewd and in an unhonest way before men. Again, the, the point that Jesus is trying to, to make, and he makes it there in verse 8, is that just as worldly people do shrewd things to act in their own best interest, as heavenly people, as people who have been saved and know the eternal reality of this world, but the fact that there is an eternal reality on this world, we should be acting shrewdly for them, not dishonestly, but with the things that God has given us. We know, friends, better than anybody in the world that everything that happens outside of these walls, outside of heaven, is temporary, right? Have the possessions that we have. One day they will be gone. Uh, at the top of your bulletin, I put that uh, verse from Matthew that, that here on earth things rust, right? Money is stolen. 
whether it's now or sometime in the future, all of the things that we have in this life will no longer have them, right? And so Jesus says, rather than looking to those things, rather than putting your hope there and trying to, to make bad decisions with those things here and now, instead, use those things in such a way that you are looking to eternity. Use those things for eternal means. Now that gets us, hopefully, hopefully it gets us to the application points. Uh, I hope you followed along with that. I hope you have been able to, to see what Jesus is trying to tell us here in this parable. And so let's see if we can apply the things that he says. It, the application becomes really clear in these next three little points. So we, we've seen the parable itself. Secondly, I want you to notice that, that in application, Jesus first says, make friends for eternity. Make friends for eternity. And you see that there uh, in verse 9. He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now again, this is difficult. It's difficult to wrap our mind around this. Some think that Jesus is speaking ironically here so that he is saying, hey, yeah, go ahead and do what this manager did and see where it will get you. Go ahead and do it and see if, in the end, if it really will get you anywhere. But as I read it and as I read through commentaries this week, I think it's better to just take what Jesus is saying here fairly straightforwardly. I think it's better to just read it as he gives it to us there. I think what he's saying is that if he's affirming uh, looking to an, an eternal future, uh, then we need to take these worldly possessions, this um, unrighteous wealth, and we need to use it in such a way that we make friends so that when actually the, the Greek here, and I, I went and looked this up to make sure it was right, but in Greek here it actually says not when it fails, but when you fail. That's the actual Greek wording there, when you fail. So basically what Jesus is saying, when you die, when, when this life is over, these friends that you have made with your wealth will receive you into glory. Now, what does he mean by making friends with our wealth? I think what he means is taking our possessions and using them to benefit the, the poor. and the, Who, as he said to us, is, inherits the, the, the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's the weak, right? It's the poor. It's the ones that we don't uh, expect. I think he's telling us to take our possessions, our money, whatever it is, and to invest it in those types of people. Those that, that we normally invested in, in, in Christian ministries, invested in missionaries, invested in godly things. Be, be shrewd, be clever, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven with the things that he has given you here on earth. Again, uh, Philip Ryken, he says, invest in the kingdom of God. And that leads us to, to two important things that need to be said. First, uh, what Jesus is not saying here is, hey, go buy your way into heaven. Uh, he's not saying, hey, go do these things so that you can earn up enough credit to, to get your way in. We talked about that with our, our catechism question. 
Uh, instead, I like what J.C. Ryle says. Uh, he says, a right use of our money in this world from right motives will be for our benefit in the world to come. It will not justify us. It will not bear the severity of God's judgment any more than any good works can. But it shall be an evidence of our grace, which shall befriend our souls. And so the, the point that, that Jesus is making here, the point that, that Ryle is making here, is that, that the way we use our possessions... The way we use our money, it shows the reality of our hearts. Now, I say that and I pause because maybe more than anything else that we have, it shows the reality of our hearts. Jesus says where your, where your treasure is, where your heart is, and your treasure, they're, they're both there together, right? If we're hesitant to give, if we're hesitant to spend in this way, then friends, we need to, to take a long look at who we are. And that leads us to the second thing that we have to note here. Note how difficult and how completely foreign this is to every single thing that the world says to us. Ben has already noted this with the kids, and I'm so glad he did, because y'all, they get it worse than we do. I'm going to tell a story on my little girl right now. Normally, I just tell good, good stories, and hopefully she doesn't take this. I love you, baby. I'm just, just going to tell this story. So this week, she found this little wallet that was Renee's, and she said, look at this, and it had some like, little dollar bills in it. It had some tickets in it. Well, at first, it was just great that she had this wallet, and she was carrying it around with her. Well, before the week was over, any money she found was going in that wallet. If it was mine or Sam's or whoever's, it didn't matter. And then by the end of the week, she said, I need to have money. In my like, it didn't take very long for it to go from, hey, this is fun, to I need this. I need this in my possession, right? Now, she's four. I'm 38, and some of y'all are older than me. We've been doing this a long time. Our hearts want those things, Right? We want possessions, we want money, and we live in a world that tells us that's exactly what we deserve. That's exactly what we need. We need to pile up for ourselves as much as we can right now. We need to invest it. We need to secure our future here on this earth. We need to do everything we can to keep our money, keep what's ours. Well, friends, Jesus is saying the exact opposite thing to us. He's not saying to us that possessions are bad, because they're not. He's not saying to us that, that money is bad, per se, in and of itself, because it's not. But what he's saying to us is it is a very short jump from money to an idol. And that what we need is not to be secure right now. What we need to be is secure for eternity. So he says, use those possessions. Use them to build those treasures in heaven. The second point of application, and we'll try to move through this quickly, is he gives us the, the results of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And look, this is, this is easy enough for us to illustrate. When I was a kid, uh, my, my parents would give me uh, things to do, and they would slowly give me more responsibility, right? And money's a great uh, example of this. So they might, when I was at some age, give me a $20 bill. And they would say, hey, bring me back the change. And if I showed myself to be faithful in doing that, 
then that was good. And later that moved to a, a checking account. They said, look, if you can manage this, then we'll move on from there. And then when I, I got a, a vehicle, they, they got me a, a credit card just for emergency purposes only. If you need it, use it. If I showed myself to be faithful in that, then they would keep moving on, right? Well, that's what Jesus is saying. He, he is the giver of all good things. It's being reminded us. He owns all things, the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to him. And what we are, the possessions that we have, are simply stewards of those things, right? The reality is, is all that we have doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to God, and he has given it to us to use the way that he sees fit. And if we show ourselves to be faithful in those things, he says, we'll move on from there. Now, we show ourselves to be faithful. Does that mean that we're going to have a lot in this life? No, but he's still, he's thinking eternally. He's thinking to the world to come. Now, just quickly, I want you to note, too, that I think Jesus has spiritual gifts in mind here, too. And I want to say this to you as a means of encouragement. You know, the Bible's clear that all of us, that there's many, many spiritual gifts. And each of us, as God's people, have a gift to use to build up the kingdom, to build up the body. Our issue is that we take those gifts and we rank them. And we say, well, some are teachers, and some are this, and some are that. And there's some gifts that are better than others. And my gifts are not very good, and so I'm just not going to use them. Well, notice Jesus is saying here, no matter what your gift is, whether it is big, whether you're Billy Graham, or or whether it's very, very small, it's a gift he's given you. And the the point is not what you're going to be able to do with the gift. The point is be faithful with the gift, right? He's the one who can do more than we can possibly imagine. He's the one that's going to take it and apply it. And so whether it's the widow and her might, you know, her, her small little gifts she gives, she gave it with pure motive, she gave it from her heart, it was very little. She was faithful with it, though. Whether it's, it's uh, uh, Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, and they have the man who is appealing to them, and he says, hey, money I don't have, but what I, ha- I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise. That's all we have. Whatever it is, friends, I encourage you. Use it faithfully. You may not feel like God can do much with whatever gift you had. That's that's not your concern. He says he can do much with you no matter what you may have. The concern is be faithful. Be faithful with what you have and trust that he's going to do what's right with it. So we see the results of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And then lastly, finally, uh, notice single-hearted devotion here. Um, Now, this is another extremely well-known verse in in Luke's gospel, uh, but its implications are really profound to us. Uh, When Jesus says that that no man can serve God and money, that we can only serve one master, what is it that he's saying? Well, first, he's saying that all of us are servants to something. All of us. There is no neutral ground. Every single one of us are serving something right now. Now, in this case, he gives us two options. One of them is money that we can be a slave to, and it will enslave us, and it will lead us to destruction and regret and all of those things. He says the other thing that we can be enslaved to or a servant to is God. Now, we, we, we hear that and we pause, but, but Paul affirms this, right? He says in Philippians, Paul and Timothy slaves of Jesus Christ. Now, 
That, that servitude is the only relationship, however, that will lead us to true freedom. It's the only relationship that will lead us to real satisfaction. Lastly, notice here, you've got these two options, and you can't serve both of them. There's one master in all of our lives, no matter how much we try to serve both, ultimately, one of them is going to rule the day. And so the question as we try to conclude this is which one's it going to be? Who or what is your master? Are you a servant to things? Are you a servant to worldly possessions, to money? Friends, I don't have to tell you. Your, your heart tells you that the majority of Americans are servants to things. The majority of us are servants to money. We are obsessed with our wealth, with our stuff, with getting more of it. Money is, it seems to be, the master. Christ makes it clear here, when that's the case, it is the only master, and in the end, it will disappoint us. In the end, it will kill us. Just like the pride that we saw in the elder brother last week, just like sin in general, general money, it, things, it will only lead us to destruction. But there's another master. A master who, as we've read in the Psalms today, is kind and generous, abounding in steadfast love, who will freely, by his grace, give us justification and righteousness, who will give us all of eternity. And so I conclude by asking you, will you bring all you have to the foot of the cross? Will you leave all of your possessions, all of your money, all that you are in the hands of this great master, this great redeemer? Will you go out and will you invest for his glory? Will you invest for eternity? Friends, there's only one master. You can't serve both. And so as we conclude, I'll ask, will you put your money where your faith is? Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these things clearly, uh, they are difficult. Uh, it's difficult in understanding. It's difficult in its application. Uh, all of us have this place in our hearts, this, this deep recess where we want what's ours. Uh, we want to keep what's ours, and we don't want anybody else to have it. Um, but Father, you call us to give freely, and you call us to give in such a way that, that we are looking to the future reality, looking to eternal realities. And so, Lord, as difficult as that is, we need you to come and work in us. Uh, we need you to give us hearts that, that long for those sorts of things. Uh, we need you to teach us and give us your grace and your mercy. And, Lord, we do thank you that when you are our master, uh, Lord, that we have one who will always lead us in the way that we should go, who will, always, who will never disappoint us, and who will surely get us safely to eternity. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.